Amen. Go ahead and be seated, and uh, we're going to go with message number two on our How to Handle Your Money series. We want to welcome those of you who are on the live stream. You can catch the first message on the YouTube uh, at Abundance, Abundant Life Church Springfield, and then search that YouTube and subscribe. It'll be easier to find the next time. Uh, last week, we talked about how to do an every dollar budget, and um, and then we showed from Scripture how Jesus taught His disciples to do it that way. And then today we're talking about dealing with your debt. And then uh, we're going to talk about emergency funds and savings and investments in the next couple of weeks. Now, today we're talking about how to handle your money in debt. Um, and interesting uh, uh, part of history, I've always been fascinated with the pilgrims that came to the United States. You know, I, I was... Um, raised in public school system, and in the state of Washington, uh, they're more liberal bent. I don't know if I should even say that word anymore. I mean, they're more progressive. What's the proper word? But the bottom line is, I was taught that Thanksgiving had nothing to do with God, and that uh, really Thanksgiving is all about the pilgrims giving thanks to the Indians for saving their buns. And um, and it, it is partially true. It's just that I didn't learn until many, many years later that Thanksgiving had a God part to it. And so uh, I learned many, many years later as I clarified history that these guys were re very religious people. They were fervent Christians. They were kicked out of their churches for the reforms they were doing within their Christianity. And they were coming to the new world to get a new beginning. They actually believed that this new world was their promised land. And so they took risk to come here, and uh, as most of you know, 102 pilgrims came here in the Mayflower and, um, in, in 1620, and they borrowed $500,000 to get here. So the first set of 102 people had to borrow the equivalent of $500,000 to make the voyage. And it was to be, it was an investment, so it was an investment company, and they said, well, we'll pay for it, and then you just send us a bunch of furs and timber and beaver hides and whatnot, crops, bring those back, and that's how you'll pay off the investment. And, well, they got here, and uh, almost half of them died the first year. So now it's down to about 53 of them who have to, you know, collect beaver furs and send back the goods to pay off that debt. Well... Uh, it didn't go so well, so the Mayflower went back empty. Then in 1621, uh, a new ship arrived with more pilgrims, and they sent back about 500 pounds of timber that they had collected as the first installment of their debt, and French pirates stole it all. They're having a hard time paying off their debt. So they've got $500,000 in debt they've got to pay off, and they're trying to get it paid off, but the first uh, section was stolen by the French. Then they tried again in 1625, and that ship was lost as well. They've taken two shots at paying the investors, and they've lost both supplies. Well, at this time, the investors are saying, we don't think we're going to recoup our money, so what does an investor do whenever they don't think they're going to recoup their money? What they do is they sell it off to a high-interest loan shark. Everybody understand that? So they, sent, they, they sold that investment off to a high-interest loan shark, and that loan shark 
took it as a high-risk creditor and basically said the minimum interest we will charge is 30%. Does this sound familiar to anybody who's dealt with these kinds of situations? And so that was a minimum. It went up from there. So the result was that it took the pilgrims 23 years to pay off their debt. But in doing so, they set themselves up to be the key influencers of our society for the next 200 years. And that's what I want us to think about this morning, is that God's plan is to make you an influencer, a vessel of blessing. And what we need to do in order to become that vessel of blessing is we need to work on our debt. We need to practice the biblical principles relating to our debt so that we can be the vessel of blessings that God has called us to be. In Romans chapter 13, 8, it says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. That's Paul's way of saying, pay off your debts so that you can just have this one debt left, and that is that I owe you my love. I owe you my love. Little tip before we go forward, I have learned in discipleship relationships, never loan money. The reason I've learned that is, is it can mess up the discipleship relationship. What you want to do is, I, I do give gifts in discipleship relationships, but never loan money in those relationships because it messes up the discipleship process. So I've learned that it's better to give often than it is to loan in those kinds of relationships. Now, we want to eliminate debt to illuminate God's plan for blessing in your life. Now, those are big words, but I want you to get a hold of what I'm trying to say. The more you eliminate your debt, the more you're going to illuminate God's plan of blessing for your life and through your life. And we want God to shine His plan of blessing on our lives and through our lives. So we want to be about the process of eliminating debt. I want you to get a hold of it. If you don't hear anything else today, get a hold of that one right there. We want to be about this process because the more we are in the process of eliminating debt, the more we are going to receive the light of what God wants to do through our lives in the area of blessing and finances. What is at stake? So let's talk about the motive that we have to reduce and eliminate debt systematically in the process that God gives us. I'm not going to focus so much on the baby steps. If you want the baby steps for getting out of debt, take Financial Peace University. You may agree or disagree with some of the baby steps, but you cannot argue with the fruit and the results. I mean, they've had incredible results beyond imagination. So it's okay if you agree or disagree, but you cannot argue with the results of people that follow the plan from Financial Peace University. So what is at stake when we're talking about eliminating our debt? I believe it is God's plan for you and for those He cares about. There's two things at stake. God wants to bless you, and debt's going to stand in the way. And He wants to bless those around you, and your debt's going to stand in the way. Proverbs 22.7 says, 
the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. I'm going to read that again. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. It's not hard for us to grasp that the rich, generally speaking, rule over the poor, right? They're the ones making the decisions. What I want you to see this morning is that it is God's desire, His intent, that you become the rich. It starts with becoming rich in Jesus and your relationship with Him. Rich in the Holy Spirit and your relationship with Him. Rich in the Word of God and your relationship with the Word. And then rich in finances. Why? Why? It's because in so doing, God is imparting His grace his mercy, and His justice into you as a person so that then you can help those who aren't experiencing that. Is this registering? So it is God's desire to make you the head and not the tail so that you can be a vessel of grace and mercy and justice to those who aren't experiencing that. So that becomes our motive for getting into the, involved in the process of eliminating your debt. Now, let's take the second portion of that. The borrower is slave to the lender. Now, this is not hard to understand if you've ever taken a loan. Because in order to take that loan, how many times did you have to sign your name? I'm talking about you sign, then you sign again to say that you signed, then you sign again to say you signed last time, and then you sign again saying you won't unsign, and then you sign again. I mean, you just sign your name over and over again as if the first signature didn't get the job done. And it doesn't matter what the loan is, you just have to sign more and more. And every time you're putting your signature to it, you are enslaving your finances to the lender. Now, in case some of you are worried that I'm going to specifically say you shouldn't ever sign your name in that way, I'm not. That's not why I'm here. I'm more trying to tell you principles about what the Bible says, the borrower is slave to the lender. And so as believers in Christ, we want to believe the Lord to get us involved in the process of eliminating that to get out of those signatures. I remember... Um, years ago, we had a men's breakfast, and it was a group of men that were, you know, together a lot. We'd gotten close, uh, probably, you know, between 10, 15, 20 of us that regularly came, and we enjoyed those meetings. They were early, but we enjoyed them, and we had guest speakers, and we had regular speakers, and one day, one of the regular speakers got up and started talking about debt, which in and of itself wasn't that big of a deal. But then they said some very controversial things. And I'll never forget it because I remember the attitude of the room. They said, you know, I've been studying this thing, and it seems to me that for the average middle-class American, the number one thing that keeps us in revolving debt is our automobile loans. 
So I've just come to the opinion that if we're going to reduce our debt and get to a place where we're not carrying revolving debt, we're going to have to deal with and eliminate our automobile loans. I mean, the room erupted. Imagine a bunch of men that were in unified presence to tar and feather this guy and then set him on fire. It was a lot of fun. Now, I learned a couple of things from that meeting. The first thing that I learned was this. I learned that we need small group meetings and relationships where we can bring up the tough subjects. Meaning, it was the small group relationship, we call them home groups, where you get to know one another, where someone gains the confidence and the ability to speak a controversial, potential, offensive thing. And we had that. So even though they tarred, feathered him, and lit him on fire, after he burned to a crisp, praise the Lord, all the relationships were restored. See what I'm saying? That, that, that comes from your small group relationship where things are close enough that you can bring up that stuff. Question for you. In your home group or your small group, have you gotten tight enough, close enough, where if someone brought up a controversial issue, it could be discussed without the air leaving the room? If you have it, Stay with it until you get there because God wants to get you into those kind of relationships so the tough matters can come up. So I learned that. That was a lesson I learned. The second thing I learned was that unless you want to be crucified in public, don't tell people what they can and cannot do with their money. Amen. <laughs> and the third thing that I learned from that was that God had a plan for me to get out of debt. While others were tar and feathering, I was letting the tar and feathering go on. I let them light the fire, but I was thinking about it. I say that, but we were. We were close enough. It's okay. In other words, there was nobody's true life was at risk. We were just, you know. So I learned from it, and I came away from that saying, God's got a plan for me to get out of debt. And I'm here to tell you that my wife and I raised three teenagers, praise the Lord, we, all of our teenagers had cars. We bought half of their car. They had to pay the other half of their car. We paid for their insurance. Well, half. They had to pay half their insurance. And all of our kids had cars all the way through, and we learned to do it without debt. So I learned that God has a plan and a process for me to eliminate debt, and I'm going to illuminate my destiny in that way. Now, when we're talking about slavery, put that scripture back up there again, if you would. The borrower is slave to the lender. I want to tell you something about God. He cannot tolerate His people being slaves to anything. If you want to know how God feels about His people being slave to anything or anyone, just read the book of Exodus, hello, and how God got so determined to get His people out of slavery that He threw frogs at them, He threw gnats at them, He threw dust at them, He threw boils at them, He gave them hemorrhoids. I mean, you, you name it, He did it. And ultimately, 
took their firstborn sons until he could get his people out of slavery. Does anybody see the passion of God in this thing? Now, I want to encourage you and I want to speak to the live stream. The debt and the slavery that God is most concerned about is our debt to sin, our debt to our failures. And He paid the price of Jesus Christ to buy us out of that debt. And if you've never received Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord, that is the beginning of being bought out of your debt to sin. And when you receive Jesus and you make Him Lord, you've been purchased out of sin debt into the saving grace of God through Jesus Christ, and you get a new beginning. He'll give you a new start. Maybe you've ruined all your relationships. You've destroyed your life. You've destroyed your health. He'll start it all over for you. That's because He cancels our debt in the person of Jesus Christ. So that's our motive for getting out of debt. Now let's look at the method. And I want to think about the method from Proverbs again. And we're going to advertise something called gazelle intensity. Now, if you watch the, uh, Nathan's testimony, he mentioned gazelle intensity. This is a tool that Financial Peace University uses, quoting Proverbs chapter 6 in gazelle intensity. And they use the example how cheetahs are the fastest animal on the earth. Did you know that a cheetah can run 75 miles an hour? It's an extraordinary thing. Uh, they can accelerate faster than most of our cars. It's an extraordinary thing. Having said that, on the National Geographic specials, you know, you see the cheetah chasing the antelope, right? And cheetahs are faster than antelopes, but they only catch them 50% of the time. Why is that? Well, you could go to the motive. You know, the motive is that the cheetah is chasing the antelope for lunch, but the antelope is lunch. Come on now. And what they're trying to teach you in Financial Peace University is that when you are slave to a lender, you are lunch. So get out of that. That's what they're trying to teach you there, all right? They also teach how the gazelle or the antelope, what they will do is they will bob and weave, and a cheetah's got all of its speed in one direction. I want you to think about this in the concept of debt. Has anyone else noticed that the banks always have the nicest buildings? That it seems like they can throw up a beautiful building, plush in every way, in any location they want to, and pay any amount for land, it seems like. Has anyone else noticed that? It's, a, it's an extraordinary thing. The only people who seem to be able to compete with them are the hospitals with government money. But otherwise, I'm just telling you, why is that? They're running like a cheetah with compound interest. Praise God. Let's look at what the Scripture has to say about Proverbs chapter 6. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger... Notice that most of us take debt when we sign our name to a stranger. I just refinanced my house, and I noticed that it's, it's now a regular process that when you sign, it's a local bank that takes your signature, but they always sell it to another bank. That means the person you're signing with or dealing with has nothing to do with the long-term loan. 
Has anybody, have you experienced that? Right? So if you've given your pledge to a stranger, I had to give my pledge at least 50 times to that stranger. If you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son. Save yourself, for you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Now, what they're saying here is we believe in sleep. We believe in rest. We, overwork is a bad thing. But when you find yourself enslaved to debt, you want to reduce your rest to speed up debt reduction. Now, once you grab that little math equation, it gives you more motive to get out of debt. And the reason being is that I believe that God wants me to rest well. I believe that God wants me to have free time and play time. Does anybody else believe that in the room? Come on, I believe that God wants me to be able to go slide down the hill with my grandson when I want to in the snow. I believe that God wants that for me. And so, but if I am having to reduce my sleep to pay off all my debt that I keep accumulating, my playtime decreases. And I have seen this. It's an amazing thing I've seen as a pastor. The amount of money a person makes seems to make no difference. Because I've seen people that make more and more money and get up into six figures, 100,000, make 150,000, go all the way up to 200,000, keep going. And yet, they keep accumulating debt, and the result is to pay their debt, they have to work longer and harder and longer and harder, and eventually they lose their ability to sleep. Because all of that long, hard work and those six figures are just building the big bank buildings. Now, we're not anti-banks. We're, we're, I'm, I'm grateful for them. But what if God instead wants to build your building? What if God wants to build your family? What if God wants to get compound interest going to build your health, to build your spiritual well-being, to enable you to give an inheritance away? What if God wants to build compound interest in your life in order for you to be able to give to others more freely and more liberally? Can anybody say amen to that? So you can have the great big building. So he says... Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of a hunter, like a bird from the hand of a fowler. I'm reminded of my wife and I when um, we had our first son. I love this story about ourselves. We had raw faith, but no wisdom. So we said, let's have a baby. I don't even know who said it first. Let's have a baby. Praise God. We didn't, we just said, well, if, you know, we'll have a baby and God will take care of us. So we didn't get any insurance. Amen. And my wife had complications and we, we had the baby, but the baby was in intensive care for 10 days. Hello. I'm talking about the bill was nuts. And if you've ever gotten one of those hospital bills that is charging $8 per Tylenol pill, and $3 per rubber glove, and you're paying it rather than the insurance is paying it, it is brutal. And I got that, and I looked at that bill, and I said, 
seven, eight dollars for that Tylenol pill? How much do you want for that rubber glove? And this is all coming out of my personal funds. So um, we're talking about the, the, the method here then. So um, what I learned to do is, is uh, it's, we're, we're using the method. Excuse me, I lost myself in my notes here. So I, I lost this, and God taught me a key principle about debt that I want to impart to you. So often what we do is we try to say, God, I need a miracle to get me out of debt. And what God wants to do is instead give you miracle faith to give and teach you self-denial and discipline to get you out of debt. Now, I'm going to go over that again because make sure we understand it. So often we want to win the lottery to get out of debt. But God's ways are He wants to teach us discipline and self-denial to get out of debt and then give us miracle faith in order to give beyond our means. And that's what God did for me. So I've got all this debt from my first child, and I'm saying, Lord, what are we going to do? And I'm thinking, surely we can win the lottery. Amen. Somebody, I'm saying, Lord, send a good church member to buy me a lottery ticket right now. Praise the Lord. And the Lord gave me an idea that would wipe out a third of my debt right there. So I followed through with the idea. It was a, a genuine idea from God. I got excited about it. We implemented it. And once we got the money, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Now give that money to the church. I said, Lord, this idea you gave me was to pay off our debt. You know what the Lord said to that? Nothing. Zero. Nada. Silence. Now, listen, here's a key principle. If you want to hear more from the Lord, obey the last thing He said. Otherwise, you'll just hear static. I don't want to hear static. So I obeyed the Lord and with miracle faith gave more than we had. And then through self-denial and discipline, we paid off that baby debt. Those ridiculous hospital bills, we paid them off. That's the methodology Run like a gazelle with gazelle intensity. I worked multiple jobs. At one time, I had three of them. And then after you've been disciplined by that, you say, I value my rest and my play more, right? And I want to speak again to the live stream and say this to you. God wants to increase your faith for miracles in your finances. You are the financer of God's kingdom. And God is looking out, and He sees lost souls that are in a sin debt, and He's passionate and cares. So He wants to make you and me a miracle vessel of giving into the kingdom of God so that we then can be vessels of finances to see the next person saved, the next person delivered, the next person given hope. So God's going to give you miracle faith to be a vessel of blessing for other people. So we've talked about the motive. The motive is that the rich rules over the poor and the person who borrows is slave to the lender. God wants to make you the person who rules with grace and mercy. He wants you to be the head, not the tail. He wants you to lead. Then the method is save yourself like a gazelle. Use gazelle intensity. And then now we're talking about the model. The model for getting out of debt is a little counterintuitive. 
And I'm going to use Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. I love this scripture. The reason I love this scripture is this, is that God is giving me an opportunity to become his banker. Now, remember we said that the bankers have all the big buildings, right? That means that if I get involved in this process, God owes me compound interest. Hello? Now, you're going to be really struggling to find in Scripture anywhere that God owes you anything. Because He doesn't. Grace is free. Forgiveness is free, paid for through the cross of Jesus Christ. God really doesn't owe us anything. Don't ever pray for justice. It's a mistake. And don't pray for justice for somebody else either. That's a mistake. Pray for mercy always. But this one little section here, I gain the opportunity to actually make God the person who owes me compound interest. Come on now. My wife gets this email. She's excited about this. And the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to make my vessel, myself a vessel to be generous to the poor. There's poor in finances. I always want to be generous to them. I keep money in my wallet for this. It's the only reason I I keep cash in my wallet anymore is to make sure I can be generous to the poor. Then there's the poor in spirit. That's those people who need a new beginning in Jesus. I'm going to be generous to them as well. Then there's the poor in Revelation. That gets into places where people don't even know that Jesus is the one who has all the power. We see that in missions a lot. They're still toying with, does Jesus have the power or does this witchcraft have the power? They're poor in revelation. And as we're generous to them in miracles, we're generous to them in preaching, we're generous in finances, we give eyeglasses and clothes and all of these things to win people for Jesus, God honors that and says, I'm going to repay you for your deed. And I want to close the service with this thought. God has always been generous to the poor. Always. So what he did was he poured all of his wealth into the person of Jesus Christ. Just imagine unending wealth poured it into his one and only begotten son. Then that only begotten son, Jesus Christ, what he did was he became poor that we, through his poverty, might become rich. How did he become poor? He sacrificed his life on the cross, hung there. I was told by a recent pastor that Jesus hung for hours. Somebody did an experiment where they put a football player on a cross, tied him with ropes. They were all laughing about it, and the guy was all tough, thought he could handle it. Ten minutes on ropes, the guy was crying out, let me down. Ten minutes on ropes. Jesus hung there for hours with nails in his hands, feet pierced. He became poor that we through his poverty might become rich. Jesus loves to give to the poor.
poor in spirit, the poor in revelation, and the poor in finances. And I want to encourage you this morning. God paid the entire price for your sin debt so that you can experience every blessing that He has for you. Just receive it. And let Him begin to give you faith and revelation for the life that He has for you.